It's the True Achievements Podcast Special Edition. On today's show, Microsoft unveil their new console. Is it the one that you want? Forza 5, Forza Win. Turn 10, give us a launch title. Will Quantum Break provide a remedy for a lack of new IP? And Steven Spielberg says hello to 343 Industries. We discuss the facts, the rumours, the misinformation, and Jay has his mind blown several times. All on today's special TA podcast. Welcome everyone to a very special edition of the TA Podcast. Obviously, in the past week or so, we've had some pretty big news fall into our laps in our little corner of the gaming world. Um, We have a new console announcement, and to discuss the good, the bad, the ugly, the truth, the rumors, and everything in between, we have a select TA Podcast crew, starting with myself. Uh, I am OSU Blue Jacket, otherwise known as Jay. I'm the editorial manager. Michelle, go ahead. I'm Michelle, also known as Matrark, the uh, news manager. And the man you all want to hear, go ahead, Rich. Yeah, I'm Rich. I'm True Achievement, and uh, I created the website. Yes, yes, he did. So let's just kick things off. Uh, last week, we had a very special announcement. Microsoft gathered members of the entertainment and gaming media to Redmond. They put up a big tent, both literally and proverbially speaking, and they unveiled what they've been working on. We now have an official console that we can start to talk about. We have the Xbox One. Yeah, baby, (laughs) Xbox One, come on. So um, it was an hour-long presentation. Um, It showed off quite a few features that the uh, Xbox One is going to do. And then there was the melee fracas that was the post-show dissemination of information, which we will talk about and why that was so terribly horrible. Um, But let's start with uh, the first things first. Um, Let's start with the name. They're calling it the Xbox One. Now... As we all know, we had the original Xbox, which I'm throwing the motion out right now. We call that Xbox Original. And then we have the Xbox 360, and now we have the Xbox One. So, uh, Michelle, what do you think of the name? I don't have a problem with it, other than the um, guarantee that I will probably keep referring to the original Xbox as the Xbox One and confuse myself and others several times. <laughs> um, yeah, When I heard the name, I thought, oh... Okay, all in one center for your entertainment. And I think that's what they were going for. So if that is the case, I'd say name successful. And people get over things. We called the Connect Natal or Natal or whatever it was for months before they called it the Connect six months before release. Um, you know, it's fine. And people who aren't happy with it, you'll adjust and it'll be fine. It's just a name. Agreed. Rich, what do you think? Yeah, I like it. I it was a bit of a, a mystery. There were various rumours kicking around. Obviously, 720 was never really going to be an option. That was just something that was invented by the uh, the media. But Infinity was kicking about, wasn't it? And I actually thought they might just go with just Xbox, um, as that's what they seem to be bringing around a lot of other unified branding around just Xbox. So I thought it could be that. But yeah, I saw it. I liked it. Um, I have no issue with it at all. I, I'm. It sounds like the start of a new generation, a new era, 
Um, and and for that reason, I'm I'm all for it. But as Michelle says, um, you you'll quickly get used to it, even if you don't like it now. Yeah, I uh, I 100 agree. It, the name is the name. It's uh, it is what it is. Um, I think Shakespeare said, "What's in a name?" I mean, we all just know what to call it now. And as confusing as that may be, once we're referring to original Xbox and Xbox One, um, evidently there's the tale going around that a member of the games media went into a GameStop and asked the clerks there. What do you think about the Xbox One? And they said, oh, we don't stock that anymore. So <laughs> we're going to have some natural confusion for a little while. But again, it's just the name. Um, obviously, much more interesting is the actual hardware. So unlike Sony's press conference, not that this is good or bad, we actually got to see the design of the Xbox One. They showed off the controller. They showed off the, the primary hardware. And they showed off Kinect 2.0 as far as the actual looks of the box. Um Rich, what did you think of the actual uh, design of the look? We'll, we'll talk about specs in a minute. I could probably sum it up in one word, which is probably functional. <laughs> it didn't blow me, didn't really blow me away um, visually from a sort of ergonomic point of view. But you know, what does it matter? It's going to be tucked under the TV. I'm barely ever going to look at it, apart from when I'm putting a disc in the tray. So um, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. It's not as sexy as it could have been, um, but it's fine. Uh, Michelle, thoughts? I kind of get the impression that it actually was sort of designed to be something that just blends into your media center. Like, it just looks completely like it just would fade into whatever spot, as long as it fits into one of the pre-cut boxes in your entertainment center, um, that it'll just stay there. I mean, I don't look at my Xbox when I play. Um, I, I really can't. It doesn't have a display built into it. It just sort of sits there. And every now and again, when I go to put in a disc, I'm like, oh, it's so dusty because you just don't really get there. Um, and also... <laughs> you need to clean your house. I, yeah, well... <laughs> 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 it's, but it's to say it's buried under wherever it is in my uh, the entertainment console. And um, like you said, I'll probably only notice, pay attention to it when I'm putting in a disc. And with everything being installed... How often, you know, I don't know how much we're going to need the disc to start the game and how all that's going to work yet, because I'm sure we still will. But, um, but yeah, I just, it, it functional, I think, is right. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Rich. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I think maybe, unlike you guys, my entertainment setup, um, I have my TV wall or mounted onto my wall, and then I have a floating shelf, which is attached directly to the wall below my TV. And mm -hmm. on that, I have my cable box, my Blu-ray player, my 360, my router, Basically, all that stuff is visible, um, much to the chagrin of my wife. So I probably will have to look at it until I rearrange my setup. But again, I, I, Michelle, I think you absolutely encapsulated my thoughts. It it looks like it's something that's designed to look like another piece of your entertainment center. It's not supposed to look like a games console. It's not supposed to look like anything. It's supposed to look like the box that you do everything with. So. It, mm -hmm. it it does bear yeah. a slight resemblance to like a cable box or or one of the larger Blu-ray DVD players. So frankly, uh, it really it really doesn't bother me what it looks like. I know there was kind of a meme going around Twitter of you know basically a, a very nice looking entertainment setup where you don't see anything, you just see the TV and and it says this is how adults game. So really, the yeah. looks of the box, yes, the looks of the box are really kind of irrelevant. My only concern on that front is that there will be people obviously we're going to talk about ps4 at various times throughout this program because we're going to have to um but there will be people that go into that store at holiday season and they see both consoles side by side and we don't know what the ps4 looks like obviously but i i would guess that it might look a little bit 
prettier <laughs> than the uh, than the one. Uh, so there will people that make their de- will be people that make their decision purely based on the look. Yeah, and I call those people idiots. Um, <laughs> but rather than uh, talking about you know the exterior looks, let's talk about the specs real quick. So um, the specs are pretty impressive on their own right. Um, they're the Xbox One is going to come proprietary with eight gigabytes RAM on a DDR3 platform. It's going to have an eight-core, 64-bit central processing unit, a 500-gigabyte hard drive, which we'll talk about more in a minute, uh, Blu-ray player built-in, which is obviously a necessity at this point in kind of technology, built-in Wi-Fi, uh, HDMI in, which is going to be important for things we'll talk about later, and out, uh, and then USB 3.0, which is able to facilitate external hard drives. Um, so obviously for me, the the big big things there are the eight core CPU, the eight gigabyte RAM and the Blu-ray drive. Like those things are just essential to running higher end programs and high or larger files at this point. So I was very happy to see that. Um, Rich, I know, why don't you tell us a little bit about DDR3? Uh, the PS4 is going to be running on DDR5, which there's a slight difference yeah. there, even though they both have eight gigabytes of RAM. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? That's right. So um, DDR5 is pretty new. Um, it's not been around that long, and it's very, very fast. But at the moment, it's very, very expensive. So it was a, quite a surprise for, for most of the, the techie guys that were into this sort of stuff um, to hear when Sony announced that they were going to be putting 8 gig of DDR5 in the in the PS4. Um, it, it could well mean that that console is a bit more expensive than the one when it launches because, as I say, this memory is incredibly expensive at the moment. It, obviously, it will come down in price um, by the time we get we get to... Uh, November, but they're going to be building these consoles now, one would assume. Um, so yeah, DDR3 is slower, but um, loads easier to get hold of now and considerably cheaper because of that fact. However, the speed of the RAM is only um, a small part of the, the speed of the system, so we still need to know how the architecture is going to perform. Um, the PS4 and the Xbox One will have different architecture around that memory. Um, so just because the PS4 has faster RAM doesn't mean it's a faster system. Michelle, do you have any thoughts on the technical specifications here? Um, I'm not a, a specs person, or like I don't really get all the tech stuff. It just, you know, the games look pretty when they come out, and I'm happy with that. Um, I've just learned in this uh, generation not to put too much stock in those numbers. Um, we all know the Xbox 360 is a full year older than the PlayStation 3, and often when they do comparison videos, you know, the new Call of Duty comes out, and they stick them side by side. The Xbox version either keeps up or often is declared the winner between the two. So I trust even if they're using um, technology that's a little more dated or a little more behind, that they know ways to manipulate that technology, but we're not going to see a significant difference between what the PS4 is producing and what the Xbox One is producing. Yeah, I agree. That That's something um, other, you know, multi-platform outlets, they'll do kind of the verdict. I think Game Informers specifically the one I'm thinking about, where they'll play a game on Xbox 360, they'll play it on PS3, and they'll play it on PC. And right now, PC is kind of blowing everything out of the water because obviously it's going to have more up-to-date specs and that can be catered to by a development team. But a lot of times they'll say, yeah, Xbox 360 performs a little better, um, PS4 performs a little better. So really, I think we're going to see a negligible difference between the two. Um, at, at least, mm. you know, when it comes to third-party developers. Obviously, if right. you get a first-party developer who specializes in one or the other, you may see a little bit of an uptick in, oh my gosh, that game looks amazing, versus, oh my gosh, this game looks not quite as amazing as that one, but they're completely different games. Right. 
Um, um, I, I just I think Microsoft and Sony are sort of obligated to develop consoles that are similar. Um, you want people to make multi-platform, and that was something I think with the PlayStation 3 is it was a little more difficult to develop for because of the way they built the architecture of the machine that's correct, um, yeah. versus the Xbox. And you know more about that, Rich. So I think they have to make them complementary to a degree. The PS3 had um, considerably better specs than the Xbox, but because of the architecture um, and the underlying uh, processing setup, uh, they really struggled. Developers really struggled to get the best out of that. There were a lot of bottlenecks in that um, in the PS3, and it took developers maybe three or four years to really work their way around that. So, um, even though the PS3 was a was a more powerful machine, just looking at the specs. Xbox 360 games generally looked considerably better in the first couple of years. Yeah, so obviously, you know, hardware specs will, will take you only so far, but it's really going to be the software that's going to determine what how, how well this hardware is utilized. So, Absolutely. Um, we can kind of leave that there for a minute. The one thing I kind of want to bring up is um, later on the press conference, uh, and maybe this was actually in the, the meetings that happened after the press conference, they were talking about how games would need to be installed to the hard drive. And if we're talking about games being shipped on Blu-rays, those those could be massive files. And if you only have a 500 gigabyte hard drive, I mean, you can maybe fit, what, 15, 20, yeah. 30 games at most on that? Right. I was staggered by that announcement, to be honest. I, yeah. I just I just think a terabyte should really be the minimum they're going for here. Um, it just, as you say, you're going to fill that up so fast. Um, and it 500 gig just sounds like it's sort of last gen already. <laughs> like you, you, buy t- you can buy terabyte hard drives so cheap these right. days. Um, we don't measure in gigs anymore. We measure in terabytes when we're talking hard drive space. So that was a real shocker to me. But I think the important thing, if you're if you're getting upset about that stuff, is the fact that the USB 3 ports can use external hard drives. So it should be pretty straightforward for you to go and buy a cheap USB 3, couple of terabyte hard drive, and plug it straight in. Um, so hopefully that will negate that problem. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope Microsoft's a little more kind. Obviously, you know, in the later days of the 360, they opened up and allowed other, you know, select size, you know, uh, thumb drives and memory units to, uh, be able to work with the 360. But initially, you know, Microsoft made a bunch of hay on those proprietary memory cards. They sure did. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, I can't even remember how much I paid for my 20 gig drive, but it was seriously expensive. It was so overpriced. It was like probably 10 times what it should have cost. Absolutely. So um, let, let's kind of shift away from the, the hardware specifications too. One thing that I kind of found interesting, and I know, Rich, you could probably shed a little more light on this, was the fact that the Xbox One is going to be running three operating systems. Mm. It's going to be running... Three operating systems, yeah. yeah. It's going to run the Xbox operating system, it's going to run a form of Windows, and it's going to run something that kind of joins the two together. And that's going to play into the functionality that we'll talk about in a little bit. But tell us a little bit about uh, operating systems and how that is going to impact things. Yeah, the interesting thing for me was, <laughs> I don't know whether it's just the type of guy I am, but when they said to me, in the and they made a big thing of it in the announcement, this is running three operating systems. To me, I was like, oh dear, that sounds bad. But they were really pitching it as a positive. So um, I guess they're playing the numbers game. <laughs> the more OSs, the better. Um, but yeah, the more OSs there are, the more things can potentially go wrong, the more things need patching. Um, these OSs need to talk to each other constantly. It, I don't know, it just... I would have been far happier if they'd have said we've developed this new unified OS. In fact, they didn't even have to mention this, even if there are three OSs going on. Just don't tell me that. Just tell me it works really well, because this this scared me a little. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that this, and we're definitely going to harken back to this as we go forward, but this press conference was mainly for general public, non-tech, like basically 
people who just want to see cool stuff and maybe have something in their living room that does something really neat. So if you've got a non a non techie who hears three operating systems that all work together to provide you this amazing experience, you know that could sound like a selling point to someone um, who maybe is not be presenting the Xbox Two conference. Day. I, can, I can see yeah, it now. All right, we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I agree. I want to see. I, I don't think we'll ever completely comprehend how these three things work together. Um, obviously, they showed a lot of switching, at least in the beginning of the conference, how you'd be playing a game, then you'd switch to, like, Bing to do a search, and then you switch back, and then you go to the TV, and obviously the bridging is kind of where that, that third mysterious operating system comes into play, because if you're doing something like playing a game, you're obviously going to be using that Xbox operating system. If you're doing something like watching a movie or doing an internet search or Skyping, you're probably going to be using the Windows platform. So it, it probably was very crucial for them to find that third operating system that makes the two play nice together. Right. Um, so three operating systems. The other thing that was showed off is Connect 2.0. Um, it's going to be included um, in every Xbox One. Um, the really interesting thing is they've done some changes to the Connect. One is that it always needs to be plugged in. It's always going to have power running to it. So the Connect is something by which you could turn your Xbox One on just by saying Xbox on um, and get your day started that way. Um, they're saying it's going to have much better uh, tracking for um, different applications and games, uh, a wider field of vision. So in theory, it should work in a smaller space. Uh, and basically they said, you know, it's always going to be listening. So you can operate your Xbox One as well as your television and your cable through your Kinect, which is something that I think the general public is going to get really behind, but might not be so appealing to gamers. Um, Kinect was, you know, something that extended the life cycle of the 360, uh, allowed developers, you know, for good and for ill to do some really interesting things um, with the video game platform. But the fact that they're putting Kinect 2.0 in with every Xbox One is certainly... Uh, an expected step, but also a bold step. So, uh, Michelle, what what are your thoughts on this Connect 2.0? I'm happy about Connect 2.0 because I'm all in the Connect bandwagon anyway. I rather enjoy it, and um, I'm looking forward to see what more they can do with it. Uh, and even in a non-gaming context, I definitely will turn on my Xbox in the morning, and then I leave the controller wherever it is, and I'll go around my house, and, you know, Xbox, you know, or... Xbox Next, Profile One, Xbox Playdesk. So by the time I'm done putting myself together, I can sit down and play my game. It's ready to go. Um, I know there's some concern. I've read some concern about the always listening because it's always drawing power. Um, but I seem to remember early on that uh, someone had asked Microsoft or had come up through whatever forums, you know, why don't you have it so that the Kinect can turn my Xbox on and off? And they had said that the reasoning was... Um, it, it came down to power, that there was just no way to do it in a way that was power efficient. So it would just it would be too much to keep it running and running and running. So I, I imagine and I would hope that they address that to put that in, make that an option for Connect 2.0. Um, you know, the, the wider angle lens means you should need a smaller uh, space for it. So you don't need to worry about that six foot uh, issue. Um, so, I mean, it really seems like they addressed the big problems, and I'm excited to see how it's going to be used in games. Right now, it's still been pretty much, unless it's a dancing game or an exercise game, it, the, the Kinect is very limited uh, in a lot of ways. I know there have been some things like Fable, The Journey, and uh, Child of Eden that are different, but it, I'm excited to see new applications for it. And uh, for people who don't like Kinect, I think it's time to just 
accept that this is part of the Xbox landscape. Something like one out of every three Xboxes, Xbox owners also own a Kinect. So they're, this is just the way it's going to be. But it doesn't mean that you have to use it, even though it's packed in. Yeah. No. Uh, Rich, what are your thoughts? Yeah, in fact, today, I think I think everyone was... There was a bit of concern from people that don't think they're ever going to use that Kinect, that it needed to be um, plugged in, turned on, listening constantly. But I think today, actually, I read something that um, suggested that although it needs to be plugged in, it's not. you can switch off the mic and you can not have it and smish off the camera and not have it sat there listening and watching you um, constantly if you want. So um, I think that's okay. I think they've needed to improve Kinect. Um, I have played maybe 10 different Kinect games and while some of them do pick up um, motion pretty well, I think there is a lot of improvement that can be made there. And apparently, and certainly looking at the wire frame um, videos that they showed in the presentation, although take these with a little bit of pinch of salt. They, it looked pretty impressive, didn't it? You could see wrists twi- uh, twisting. It just seemed to have a whole lot more detail um, than the the Connect One. Can I call it that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the, the original. I don't know. That's Kinect. really confusing branding now. <laughs> Connect One and the Connect Two is with the Xbox One. It's always... <laughs> oh, okay. Let's call it uh, original, original Connect <laughs> uh, or Connect Classic. Um, yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it, I think they needed to do some work on that. Um, the Connect itself, it looked bigger, didn't it? It looked like a bigger yeah. um, mm-hmm. piece of tech, uh, which is fine. It sort of had a similar functional uh, look about it <laughs> to the one. Um, yeah, I, I have no issue with it. Um, I have a, a minor fear of the Big Brother thing, but as I say, I think that will be able to be switched off. I love the idea of walking into a room and saying Xbox on and, and it turning on. That's, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, what I'm thinking is... I don't know how often I would actually or I will be using Kinect as a games device, but the way they were showing off its functionality in non-gaming arenas, which we're going to talk about these non-gaming arenas quite a bit, I think that's where Kinect is really going to find its niche. I mean, obviously developers are going to be making games that use it in one form or another, um, even in a, like minimally impactful ways like voice commands or just menu browsing, things like that. But to see, again, Rich, you said it best, take it all with a pinch of salt, the Connect actually being used to switch applications on the one, to scroll through television channels from your cable provider, to snap things to and from, uh, to be able to do searches, and really just find a, finding a way to use voice commands to unify your entertainment center. To me, that's something that's really cool. Uh, I know I mentioned it a lot. My wife is not a gamer, but when she actually saw that being used, she actually looked up and was like, wow, that's really cool. And I think she's kind of that demographic that Microsoft was aiming mm-hmm. at in this press conference was people who, who don't play games, but who are interested in the next wave of entertainment or the new ways to use the things that are already in in the home. So I think Connect 2.0, it, it, I, I'm glad it's included mandatory in all these one uh, in all Xbox Ones, because that's going to allow more things to be done with it, I believe. Uh, right. But it, it's it's going to be, a, again, another wait-and-see approach to see how well it's actually utilized by developers for applications and game uses. Yeah, I just I think the response to it has been really fascinating, because um, someone I was speaking to about it said, you know, how do you... 
uh, they're packing something else in, and people are just off the wall upset about this. Now we don't know price yet, so we don't really know how that's affecting. And that's the that's the one legit Connect 2.0 complaint that I get is if if its inclusion is making this console $150 more, um, we should have the option to not have it. But Microsoft is saying it's completely integrated, and you're really going to need it to enjoy the one. So we're going to have to deal. And I think if people just look at it as a, a pack-in, like another controller, it's going to be a whole lot less offensive. And they'll find eventually that they'll find some application for it that they'll use it for, I'm sure. Although, the, although it undoubtedly increases the base price of the package, you are effectively going to be saving costs for developers because they're always going to know that there's going to be a connect there. So they don't have to create an option which doesn't have connect when one that does. Right. So you, you, there are long-term cost savings for developers here. Um, it, although there are, you know, it will obviously add something to the, to the base price of the package. Right. And it, it, it means that uh, the developers too, they don't forget that they're not obligated to use the connect. It's not going to be a necessary part of game development. So just because that's happening, it doesn't mean that every game is going to start using connect 2.0. Many games are just better in traditional gaming environments. So I, I'm sure that developers are very aware of this and, and they're not going to compel you to use a connect all the time. Right. Well, speaking of controllers, we saw an updated version of what, what I would consider our classic Xbox 360 controller, which Far and away, I think we all agree, it is the best mm -hmm. video game controller that's ever been made. It's, oh, yeah. It feels great. It always worked well. And I think we're all very glad that Microsoft didn't mess with it too much. Mm -hmm. um, the new things they kind of done to the controller are triggers, are going to have individual rumblers for feedback, and they've changed the D-pad a little bit. So instead of having the circle with the raised D-pad, it is now just an old-school D-pad, which is going to make you know casual fighting fans a lot happier because it'll make those command inputs uh, a lot more crisp. So I I'm glad they didn't mess with the controller too much. It looks really great. Uh, I think uh, one thing I want to see is just how it feels in your hands. Mm -hmm. Is it going to have a good degree of heft to it? Uh, I think the 360 controller is great because it does have a good bit of weight to it. Yeah. Um, but what do you guys think? Uh, Rich, any thoughts on the new controller? Well, if you remember my um, big wish for uh, the conference when we discussed it in the last podcast was that they didn't change the controller too much, and um, they've they've made me happy. Um, I love the idea of feedback in the triggers. I think that could be huge in shooting games, driving games, a little bit of um, feedback on the pedal or the trigger uh, effectively and the shooting games. Then I, I think that could really add something. Um, it'll be subtle, but it, I think it will add to the experience. Um the D-pad, I don't really ever use the D-pad. I'm not a, a fighting fan, but it certainly looked improved. Um, and apparently they've made 40 different um, up, upgrades or changes to the controller. I would imagine they've done a whole load of testing on this stuff. So um, I have a feeling that it will be a better experience for everyone using this controller. I'm, I'm excited to try it for the first time. Yeah. Michelle, yeah. what are your thoughts? I'm pretty much in the same camp about it. I love my 360 controller, and I think um, the original D-pad was bad. They released the um, the newer controllers with the uh, switching D-pads. I love them. I, I use them all the time, and I always have it in the raised configuration because I play a lot of puzzle games, and that old D-pad was terrible for that. So it looks like they've addressed that, which was the major issue. I have the same concern about just heft. How is it going to feel in your hands when you're actually playing with the system. Um, but I, I think they did great by not messing with it too much. There's no built-in video monitor. I know that was one of the early rumors. It was going to be like a Wii U type thing where we'd have some sort of built-in thing. And clearly Microsoft's putting more of their time in like the smart glass camp with things like that. So they didn't wedge that into the controller. So I'm, I'm very happy with the way it looks at least. We'll see how it actually plays. 
Yeah, I agree. I'm kind of curious about all the improvements Microsoft say they made. I mean, are they just general improvements like greater battery life, um, you know, stronger components to keep it from breaking during yeah, rage quits? Good, good, yeah. <laughs> good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I want to see what these improvements are. Shaving half a millimeter off the width of one of the triggers will count as an improvement. It, there'll be some very, very minimal stuff in there, but um, hopefully the stuff that they have put in it makes a big difference. Uh, another new feature to the Xbox One is that it's going to serve as a DVR for gameplay, which I'm kind of interested to know how that operates. Um, I think it's a really cool feature, especially for our community that really wants to have achievement solutions and video on how to do them. But I, I think I, I want to know how much memory is this going to take? If we've got a 500 gigabyte hard drive and you're recording HD video gameplay, how much space is that going to take? You know, what's what's the cycle of how long are you recording and saving? Yeah, any that's given the question, time? isn't it? Um, but I think right. it's really interesting. Uh, how about you, Rich? Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right in the way you think it will work. It will be some sort of loop, so it will it will overwrite um, its older data as it goes. So it's not going to be just constantly filling up your hard drive. But um, it could be cool, couldn't it? I, I don't know how much I'll use it, but certainly um, there's been a, a load of times when I've been playing a game and I've thought. Oh, wouldn't it have been cool to just have captured that last moment on video and then you try and recreate mm-hmm. it and you can't. And it's just nice Absolutely. to know that there will be a way to go, oh, that just grab me that last minute of footage and, and post it up wherever we post it. I'm not exactly sure where you're going to be able to post it to. It might be Xbox Live, might be YouTube, might be anywhere you like, which would be cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's cool. Yeah, I actually had a moment. I've, uh, I've been playing a good bit of Far Cry 3 recently and uh, my wife was sitting on the couch while I was playing and Basically, all heck was breaking loose as I was trying to secure an outpost, and a, and a heavy was coming at me, and I'm just throwing the kitchen sink at it, and suddenly I just pull out my grenade launcher, launch a grenade right at his feet, and he blows like 30 feet sky high, and, and it made my la- my wife just laugh her butt off, and uh, that's a moment that I would have liked to have captured and just saved, just to bring it back every once in a while, but I really want to see how this works. Uh, Michelle, what are your thoughts on it? I'm in the same boat. I'd certainly love to keep some of those moments, like exciting gaming things, but really more about those funny moments. What I, what I think is going to be interesting is what Rich touched on is where is this going to upload to? Uh, Microsoft has clearly made inroads in the past working with Facebook and whatnot. You know, we got a big announcement about Facebook and Twitter integration on the 360. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you get the option to upload it to various uh, different venues. I don't know how that will work time-wise or, or if it'll you know, if there'll be any strangeness with that, but I imagine that's where they're going is it's supposed to be a whole social experience. So now as soon as that happens, you could put it up on YouTube, you can link it on Facebook. I, I would imagine they'll have some sort of specialized area like connect share that it'll also go to. Um, so it'll just be, I think it'll be fun and it'll be great for achievement uh, solutions, which we see on the sites. So now people will have the ability to record their achievement solution right from their Xbox and just pop it up to whatever venues they want to, which I think will be fantastic for people who record speed runs, mm. depending on how much time you're allowed to record. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see settings like that, like how long do you want the DVR to record so that you can adjust how long the loop is. And that would obviously um, require more of your hard drive space, the more time you choose to take. That's that's what I've got on my cable box, actually. You can say, you can pause and rewind live TV and you can set it, I want to record an hour or 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as long as it's customizable, that would be that would be handy, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I, I think it's just, I, I think it's one of those features that everyone will see and utilize once and then forget, but there'll be a, a sort of a niche group of people who really take advantage of that and do cool things with it. 
Yeah, let, let's hope so. Uh, because I, I know our community, as we've all said, they, we thrive on things like achievement solutions and uh, walkthroughs and things like that. So I really want to see how well this is executed and integrated. So it, it's definitely an interesting feature. I'm glad it's there, and, and it's going to take some time to see how well it's utilized. Um, other changes, that they showed off the new dashboard, and, and more specifically, they showed off how Connect 2.0 integrates into the dashboard. So we've got a couple of, of big things that kind of showed off. The first one was voice switching, how you can use the Connect to switch between gameplay to movie to internet browsing to a different app back to gameplay, and it was all instantaneous. So I want to see how well that works, um, especially because I know when it comes to my um, my television, my cable box, it takes like three to five seconds to change between channels sometimes on digital cable. So I really want to see if this performs as advertised uh, when it comes to voice switching. Uh, Rich, what are, you, what are your thoughts here? Oh, that's a fair point. I don't, to be honest, I don't know how much of the TV integration stuff is going to be coming to the UK. You'd hope that they have some of the deals already in place for that. But um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued, but I'm not sure how much I'd use it. Uh, I guess, I don't know, there's a sort of tipping point, isn't there? When we get stuff like this, and we had it with Connect Original as well, where it has these features and you think, oh, that sounds cool, and you try it once and it, maybe it doesn't work, and you try it again, and maybe it sort of half works, and then you give up and you never try it again. And I imagine right. there'll be a similar process with this. You you think, oh, I'm going to give it a go. Maybe you feel a little bit self-conscious shouting at your TV to change channel, um, and there'll be a little bit of a learning curve for both the Connect to, to learn your voice and you to get used to doing it. Um, and I think it's probably if you're going to be prepared to put the the effort in training it and and doing it, it might be you know it might be quite a quick effort, but still um, getting over that hurdle of shouting at your TV is, is going to be slightly <laughs> weird. Um, but I'll, I'll give it a try. I mean, it, it looked cool the way they were demonstrating it. There's part of me that thinks everyone is going to try and be Patrick Stewart, uh, Captain Picard, <laughs> the next generation, like Earl Grey Hot or TV, CBS, TV, Xbox. It, I think that could be cool. <laughs> Uh, just just for novelty's sake, I think that's very fun. Um, Michelle, what do you think? Wouldn't it be nice? You don't ever have to worry about losing your remote again. Oh, yeah. Shouting at the screen. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, I think, Rich, your point actually about whether or not this will apply to the UK actually extends further. Just um, uh, We had asked some folks on Twitter and on Facebook if they had any input, and someone pointed out how in his country, uh, I think it was South Africa, like there, this live TV stuff really means nothing there. So there's way more markets than just the UK and the United States. Oh, of course. There's, yeah, I'm talking from a and, purely and, selfish right. perspective. And, and it's fairly evident that the 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 presentation was US-centric. Yeah, you know, we're yeah. going to get into some of the stuff they announced later on, like the big NFL deal. Like that's definitely a, a USA thing and, and makes the biggest impact here. Um, but – yeah, this is all really cool, but is it is that going to work in other markets? Um, I think that's a really valid question because it was one of the cooler parts of the presentation. A lot of the real casual folks looked at that one. Hey, that's that's neat. I'd like to see that in my living room. But if it only works in one market, uh, you know, how much is that really going to impact the overall thing? But I think it looks cool. I'd love to see it in action. I'm excited to at some point. Um, but uh, again, I don't know how big the impact is going to be sort of globally for that. So I've got a very quick question on that. So mm-hmm. obviously we don't probably don't know how this is going to work, but it's going to ch- your your cable box plugs into your Xbox in the HDMI in one assumes, and then the HDMI from there goes into your TV. So um, effectively, your Xbox is watching your your TV. Now, if I want to record what's currently showing on my 
uh, Skybox in, in its built-in TVR, I still need to use my Skybox, but then do I use it through the Xbox? Is it is it going to somehow pass that command through? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so I think there's a lot of questions to be answered as to the actual how this tech is going to hook up and speak to um, the mm-hmm. other tech. Plus there's a whole, I would imagine, we've got various different cable um, providers in the UK. Um, and I imagine it's even more complex over, over there. So are they going to have uh, deals with every single one? Because they're going to have to talk to all these different boxes to right. automate the channel switching. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big undertaking. Well, even more than that, like there's multiple cable providers. And within those cable providers, there are multiple box producers. Oh, so man, even yeah. though I have the same cable as my buddy down the road or up the street, we can have completely different cable boxes mm. made by completely different manufacturers. Right. So I, I think you kind of hit a really good point there, Rich, that how well is this going to work across the massive variations in hardware from living room to living room? Right. I mean, I know uh, when I first set up my um, when they were first announcing the apps like ESPN and whatnot, I was all excited. All right, I'm going to go do this. And the internet or the provider I had at the time wasn't supported. The one I have now is. So there's still a concern with that. They still don't have everyone. And both are large national carriers. It's not that I have a, a local carrier. So, yeah, I think we'll see more of that in the coming months. I don't even think, you know, E3 is coming up, but I don't think they'll get that there. We're going to see lists of who's part of this. And uh, so people can kind of start to prepare to get ready for uh, this whole Xbox One experience in their living room. Yeah. So uh, another thing they showed off, uh, aside from the voice switching, is this thing called app snapping, which you use. You can use your phone or your tablet, basically using smart glass to, you know, work your your Xbox One. Which, to a varying degree, we can do that now with our 360. I know I've used my iPhone to control movies before, but really, it's it's more of a novelty to me. I have a uh, one of those smart remotes that basically controls my entire living room, when, and it's amazing and awesome. And that kind of leads me back to think. Man, if my Kinect can be like my smart remote, that's so sweet. Mm. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think about this uh, app snapping? Michelle, go first. Yeah, that about says it all, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, it looks interesting. I, I don't know how... I've used Smart Glass a little bit when they released that karaoke app a few months ago. And one of the big deals with it was, oh, you can use Smart Glass to set up the rest of what you're going to sing and all that. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, so, you know, seeing how this will actually work in the wild, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, a lot of this app snapping stuff, I, I know it's also the kind of full platform integration Microsoft is doing. You kind of see that a little bit in Win8 where you can set, uh, you know, your apps to show up in various ways. Um, I'm not really sold on it because I don't see using my Xbox that way. I, I, I'm just going to, you know, put it on and play a game or put it on and watch Netflix. Yeah. So it seems neat, but I, I don't really see it being something that's a big sell for me one way or the other. Yeah, I tend to agree. I was trying to think of examples of when I might put this to good use. So basically you're talking about having basically two apps running side by side on your mm-hmm. TV. Um, and if I wanted, if I was watching TV and I wanted to look up um, what film some actor had or, or had been in, apart from the one I was watching, I would probably use either my phone, my tablet or another device that I've got around me so that the, the film is still taking up the full right. screen. Um, maybe we're, we're coming at this from sort of techie people that have smartphones and tablets and 
and and that and laptops sit kicking around just to do that stuff and maybe there are a lot of people that don't um have that and they think it would be cool to bring up the internet while they're watching something and but for me i think it might detract from the experience the only thing i thought it, it might be quite cool is the skyping so if you were watching for example the presentation i thought it would be really cool if the three of us could get on skype watch it live and we could be having a conversation over skype uh, in the corner of the screen while the presentation is taking up the rest of the screen. I thought that, that would mm -hmm. be a great use for it. Well, and all like this that. potential for integration. So, right, it, it would be awesome if you could not only do that, but then your in-game DVR is also recording your conversation. So you could just upload it to the video provider of your choice. And and that seems to be, again, one, all in one. I think that's what they're going for, but we just don't know a lot yet. Um, you know, and there are other applications. How cool would it be if you're going through a game uh, and you know you're, you're you have TA up and you're using your Internet Explorer application while you have a game going, so you can look at the video solution that was just posted and and use that side yeah, by that side. Yeah, that is great. That is a great idea. Yeah. Um, so another cool thing they're kind of talking about is the trending tab, where you can see what's popular across everything for Xbox users. You can see. What's a popular TV show that's being watched right now? What's the popular movie that's being watched? What's the popular game that's being played? You know, popular music people are listening to. So I, I think, again, it's trying to bring that social aspect into um, use for the one. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to use it. Uh, I could see it being utilized pretty well with, like, indie games uh, or smaller games. Um, seeing that, oh, my gosh, there's this game I haven't heard about, but everybody's playing it. i got to find out what this is about. But aside from that, uh, I'm not sure how much it's going to get used. Uh, Michelle, what are your thoughts on this trending tab? I'm, you know, for me, I don't think it's going to do much. I'm not a big Twitter user. I don't deal with hashtag whatever and trending topics. I, I think it's sort of the next logical progression from Beacons. That's my impression is, you know, I don't know if any of you used it. I really haven't. But when the beacons first came out, people would set a beacon and you'd go to start up whatever it is and you'd get that little notification. I think it's kind of trying to operate the same way, but broader. So it's not just what games are you playing? What games did you set a beacon for? But it, it becomes what music are you listening to? You know, so-and-so is listening to this in Xbox music. So it's trending on your friends list. Um, I don't know. I, I missed this or I forgot it. I, you know, it's been a little bit, but I don't know if the trends are specific to your friends list or over the whole of Xbox Live. Um, and there's going to be a big difference because if my friends, you know, my friends all play the same stuff I do. So if they're all playing the next Halo title, obviously that's going to trend. But if it's five months after the next Halo title and my friends are still playing it and the rest of Xbox Live has moved on to Call of Duty, is that's what what we're going to see trending or am I still going to see Halo? So you might have both of those things. I would very imagine. possibly. You probably have trending globally and then trending in my friends, I would imagine. Right. Or even trending geographically. Yeah. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Trending in my state or it's trending in my town. <laughs> Those oh, are gosh. great ideas. Yeah. <laughs> trending in my neighborhood. Oh, God, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think you're right in when you say about indie games, or, or you might see something. It, it could help games spread virally. Um, right. The smaller games, obviously, we're not talking AAA here, but if there's maybe um, a small title that one person picks up, they recommend it to a couple of friends, suddenly you see three or four people playing it, um, and you've never heard of it, it might get you at least to to look into it right it, it, it'll help i think a game like metro sort of grew that way the first one metro 2033 like a few people bought it it seemed sort of generic or whatever and people just kept talking about it and talking about it and has a big a pretty 
good niche now of people who really enjoy it and were really excited for Last Light. And I think you're right, Rich. It'll help a game like that become even more pervasive because now you're going to see it on the side of your Xbox or wherever it's going to display and be like, all right, I've seen enough. Let me actually try this game. Yeah. Um, the other kind of thing they showed off, and we, we've already alluded to it, is uh, Skype is going to be you know, a big part of the Xbox One, obviously with Kinect 2.0 being packaged in with everything. Everyone's going to have basically full-functioning video conferencing equipment in their living room, which I see this as a game-changer for the non-gaming crowd. Uh, I know I have a friend who lives in New Jersey who Skypes with uh, his mom and dad and his mother and father-in-law because he has two little kids who they don't get to see very much, so it's a way for them to all stay connected together. So I could see Skype as one of those big apps that maybe not a lot of gamers will use, but a lot of the non-gaming public uh, could be excited and interested in. Yeah, uh, I think I probably underestimate Skype. I remember showing my mum the first time when we went and we, we spoke to someone in the States and she was just absolutely blown away by Skype. This is on the iPad, but still, the same principles apply. And in fact, the, the principles take it even further because this is going to be on your big screen TV in full 1080p, um, you know, with, with proper cinema sound if you've got that it, it could be really really cool and i think i might end up using it more than using the mo the, the phone i mean it really could be that much of a game changer i feel like the that might be a bigger game changer later in the console's life though if that doesn't get adapted elsewhere because just what you're saying rich think about it. you already have it on your phone you already have it on your computer <laughs> my my mom is not gonna go and pick up an xbox one because now she can skype to her grandkids who live some some ways away she's going to use That's the computer she already has in her house um i don't see this just being the one thing people buy it for so it's not going to be a game changer in that way but later on when the console comes down in price could i see getting my mom one and saying here this is a good way to stay in touch let me show you how to use it sure but that's not going to be a day one thing for sure you can give her your original Xbox One when you've got your Xbox One Slim. Oh goodness! <laughs> oh, that's the hardest thing I've ever had to say. No, let's not let's not jump ahead to second and third generations of this brand new hardware. We still haven't even gotten the first one yet. <laughs> Sorry, get ahead of myself. So uh, the one thing that kind of rankled a lot of gamers was the fact that we didn't see a lot of games uh, at this press conference, but what we did see was a lot of TV stuff. Uh, mainly, we've already talked about using your Xbox One to change channels uh, through your cable box, uh, doing things like that. But the NFL and ESPN announced partnerships with the Xbox One, which here stateside, that is just gigantic. Um, the fact that you can keep up with your fantasy football team while you're watching a game on your Xbox One, to me, that's, that's huge. I have a pretty crazy fantasy football league and uh, being able to keep track of my team who are playing many different games while watching the one game in which I'm interested, that's that's a really cool function. And then having ESPN uh, integrating, you know, interactive aspects into the sports watching experience, to me, that that's super cool. Um, Rich, I, I'm not sure how much of this stuff is going to translate over to the UK immediately, but I imagine when it comes to, like, football and Champions League and UEFA, that could be super huge for you guys. Well, I don't know. Um, it really, the, as far as I could tell, the partnership is just for sort of, it's almost like additional content, isn't it? It's not actually, they're not going to be the only one, you're not only going to be able to watch these games through your Xbox. It's just more of um, uh, additional uh, stuff, fluff around the, pa around the programs that, that is going to be on the Xbox One. Is that correct? Yeah, that's my understanding. And I think, you know, it may not sound like much, but you, you cannot overestimate 
how rabid the American general public is <laughs> for American style football and news and just more of it. It's basically, even though we only play the season from, you know, preseason starts, you know, August and it runs through the Super Bowls in like early February, but still from February through July, people are obsessed with things like the NFL draft, with training camps, with, you know, free yeah, I heard the it, viewing figures were enormous for the draft. Uh, this year. It's it's gigantic, and people just always want more. I mean, the NFL launched their own proprietary television network, which you're only going to have you know games for four, five, six months of the year. The other six months is stuff people are still watching. So I think it's it, it's huge. Like and it, the fantasy league application is really really big. I mean, fantasy leagues are everywhere. They come in all shapes and sizes. You have free leagues, you have pay leagues. Um, people do it very casually. Not and the fact that um, you know people can sit there and watch the game and all their stats live update. I mean, people used to do this stuff by hand on spreadsheets and graph paper and whatever else. Um, so that's a pretty big deal. I can see people like the demographic that's a little above us, like um, you know and that where that's becoming an exciting application for them, where they're maybe not into the gaming so much, but they have kids that are into it. And, oh, wow, this is something I could actually use as well. That That's, uh, I mean, here stateside, it's, it's hard to explain if you're not part of that culture, but the fantasy league stuff is just huge. And I think that's, that's going to be a big deal for them. Yeah. As I say, I sort of switched off at that point. I couldn't really see a great deal that was going to be for me, even if they were to do it for soccer, um, mm-hmm. it wouldn't make a huge a huge thing for me. Right. Well, other things they showed were the Xbox One guide, which is basically like the TV guide. So I, I really want to see how this works, how your, your cable box is going to talk to your Xbox One and it's going to show your TV, you know, listings on your Xbox. And then from there, you can use your Connect to scroll through your entire TV listings and then say things like watch CBS or watch AMC or watch ESPN and your Connect is going to make that all magically happen through the mysteries of science. So they showed it happening pretty much instantaneously during this press conference, but I think we're, we're all agreed. We, we want to see how well this actually works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is, you know, built-in delays in a lot of these things that just happen. So I, I really want to see how that works. Um, how do you guys feel about, you know, actually watching TV through your Xbox? Uh, well, one of the th- reasons why the uh, the Xbox One might have looked so functional is because it seems to have a, quite a lot of venting on the side of it. Mm-hmm. And I reckon that they've had to do that because they need to keep the fan noise down. If, they, if this is something that's going to be constantly on while you're watching TV and you're watching a film with a, a, a very quiet... Uh, you know, interesting part, and you—the last thing you want to hear is <laughs> all the time you're watching it. Just, so I imagine they've probably spent um, some cash getting some silent fans in there, and and really making sure the whole thing's well ventilated, so that at least it doesn't disrupt your viewing. Because I wouldn't use it if 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 it if it sounded like an Xbox 360 original. Oh, man, doing, this is getting even more confusing. Uh, one of the f- first generation Xbox 360 consoles. Um, I don't think I'd ever use it because it, that thing made such a noise. Yeah, I uh, I actually still have uh, one of the... I, I don't think it was the launch edition 360, but it was w- one of the later chipsets. And yeah, it sounds like an airplane taking off sometimes uh, in your living room. So right. yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's another important point it, it, that the actual design of this box. It's going to have a lot of ventilation, keep it cool without making it incredibly loud. 
I think Microsoft did listen to a lot of consumer feedback, and even in the newer generation the Slims, it's much more quiet. So oh, the Slims great, yeah, so I can yeah. barely hear it at all. Yeah, yeah, and certainly they're looking to avoid um, a first run 360 repeat. You know, we all know about Red Rings and mm. how all that went down, and they don't want that happening again. So I'm sure that they're very aware of making sure they developed it in such a way to minimize that kind of thing happening. Yeah. So um, let's. That, that's all good stuff. That's all fine and good. We're watching TV through our Xbox. We're we're talking to our TV. We're watching movies. But let's cut to brass tacks. Let's talk about games and game functionality, which wasn't a huge part of this presentation. And I think it's very important to reiterate that this presentation was not directed at gamers. We have mm -hmm. E3 coming up. E3 is where gamers are going to get their gaming-focused presentation. This presentation was for the Wall Street crowd. It was for the USA Today crowd. It was for the crowd that doesn't think about video games but sees this cool piece of technology and sees all the cool stuff it can do. Plus, it plays games, whereas gamers wanted the, hey, this thing plays games, and it does a couple other things too. So I think we're going to see the tables turned at E3, but we did learn a little bit about the uh, next wave of Xbox Live and some of these games. So l let's start with the uh, Xbox Live thing. I think the thing that jumped out to me the most is at launch, the Xbox One will have 300,000 servers <laughs> around the world that can be used for cloud computing, that can be used for storage, that developers can utilize to run processing um, for different games and applications. And to me, that's just... Just blew my <laughs> mind. Um, yeah. yeah, Rich. That's so much power. Yeah, Rich, tell us a little bit about what that means. You're obviously a little more uh, ingrained in the tech sphere than Michelle and I. The, yeah, so I, this was almost glossed over in the presentation, but actually I think this is, could be the most important thing that they mentioned in the whole thing. Giving developers access to these, well, even if they don't give them access to the whole lot, but certainly some of this power that's going to be um, available on these 300,000 servers um, will allow even small developers to come up with massive games and potentially um persistent worlds um just you know they'll be able to do so much number crunching that they might not have been able to do before and it will allow them potentially at least to to create games that they would not have been able to do they wouldn't have had the budgets um to do without this so yeah this is huge i think um very exciting um i can't wait to see how people use it well i'm definitely in the same boat i i saw this persistent worlds statement and my mind immediately went to a game like fable because remember the whole hook of the first fable was for every choice a consequence well now you have a world where that can actually happen you can chop down a tree and that tree stays chopped down and whatever else so i think the application we can get because of all this server space is just it's amazing and it's it's mind-boggling like what jay expressed before um, and, and this, because they glossed over it in the presentation, because this wasn't a gamer presentation, I think gamers did not stop and see how amazing this could potentially be for us. Um, so this is huge, and I'm really excited to see what we're going to see in E3 and in the coming months that's going to utilize this, because it's, it's going to be amazing, I think. Well, and I think we can kind of take this back to what Bungie unveiled with Destiny, how mm -hmm. when they showed off Destiny, they said this is going to be a persistent online world and in our i'm going to say current generation of thinking with 360s and ps3s we're like really that's gonna work and now hearing this that we're gonna have 300,000 servers that are going to be able to maintain these persistent online worlds it kind of it's like a new dawn and a new day 
it's it's wow this is actually going to happen and when it comes to a buying decision you know they are launching destiny on ps3 on 360 as well as ps4 and the xbox one to me it's a no-brainer that i'm gonna play this on xbox one just because of the the back end of the infrastructure here yeah, the infrastructure right. sounds huge, doesn't it? I think it will even make a massive difference in standard multiplayer. Instead of having 8v8 and 4v4, you're going to be able to have 32v32 as standard. Right. Um, or even uh, even cooler things. So maybe uh, eight eight teams of four all on the same map, um, all at the same time. And that, that's exciting to me. I think that's that, that has a load of potential. We all know how volatile the MMO space is right now. With, with, I mean, Dog has mentioned it numerous times, business of gaming things. But to see that there is the potential to be doing these massively multiplayer online games on a console with this type of backbone, to me that's incredibly exciting because I would have been one of those people who would have loved, loved to have played Star Wars The Old Republic, but I don't have a gaming PC. And if, if we could if there was a way to have games like that where, yeah, it's primarily, you could do a single-player focus, but you have the option to go into this great Wild West world uh, of just people doing crazy stuff, I'm sign me up. I'm on board. So to hear that this is the, the infrastructure, the online backbone of this new system is incredibly exciting. One of the main gripes from PC gamers to console gamers for the PC folks is they can do these sort of large open world, you know, 32 v 32, whatever it is, they, that's possible on the PCs, just the way the servers are set up. And I think battlefield is a, an example. I could be wrong about that. Cause I'm not a battlefield player, but on the PC equivalents, you can do much larger team battle type stuff where you can't do that on the Xbox 360 environment. And this lets the Xbox environment catch up to that. So suddenly you have something where, it's really coming down to the only thing that, well, not the only thing, but the major thing that's going to differentiate what the PC version can do and what the Xbox One version can do is keyboard mouse input input versus controller. Input. Yeah, that's a fair point. So um, other things that kind of were, were unveiled about Xbox Live uh, is that all your content can be stored in the cloud. So you can basically go to a friend's house, pull it down and play at their place. So uh, that's something that we've kind of seen slowly starting to evolve with cloud storage on the 360, but this seems to be a much more forward feature in the Xbox One. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It sounds like it's automatically going to sync all your saves and your profile to the cloud every time it, it hooks back up to uh, its master on the cloud. <laughs> and that's been one of the best things that changed in this generation was putting information on the cloud. Because, you know, I go over to a friend's house and have to wait an hour and a half for my profile to come over if I didn't remember to put it on a flash drive and now you know one click and it's there and it just lets me know I was last signed in on another console which is fine um, and that's been so much better because uh, there's no worry about that anymore so this will happen even faster and now you're not going to have to worry about well we played this game co-op locally for a, for a day and then we played it online where's my save and what carried over everything is just going to be in this one cloud space which is going to be fantastic right so uh, another thing that obviously our community is going to be incredibly interested in is that your gamer score and your gamer tag carries over to the xbox one so i'm going to be able to stay osu blue jacket which to me that's pretty cool um, my gamer score is going to roll over um and that i i think that's going to be the biggest thing that our community is going to take away is that gamer score is going to continue on which makes us all incredibly happy um the w this felt like a relief, really. Well, didn't it? I did, it did to me anyway. This was like, oh, phew. 
all that all that hard work, all those hours right. poured <laughs> into getting those tricky achievements. And, and I think that I really shouldn't have. I done. think they teased <laughs> it at the launch of the press conference when you saw a um, friend of the site, Raymond Cox, better known as Stallion. Uh, in that video montage, you're like, oh, he wouldn't be in this if they weren't going to still be doing gamer school right. stuff. One quick interesting thing before we move on to the games on this is that I don't know whether you noticed this, but they, they showed various um, stills of the dash on different tabs or what would have been blades, but on the different tabs, such as trending and TV and movies, etc. Um, and on none of those tabs did you see your gamer score um, and your avatar. It had your gamer tag didn't have your gamer score and your avatar now we didn't see the game tab at all in this presentation i'm sure we'll see a whole load of it at e3 but i'm pretty i'm hoping that that information is is going to be displayed on that tab mm-hmm. if it's not on the others because i'm i was like whoa where's my gamer score gone so that's that actually <laughs> until they actually announced this after that worried me at the time <laughs> well i think that it just goes to further prove how this this conference wasn't about any of that like the gamer score would have been a distraction and that's the, the exactly. people that they were trying to attract they don't care about the gamer score thing that's very i mean uh, look at your friends list if i when i look at mine generally people don't have six digit gamer scores generally it's just not the way things look at xbox live rewards i think the top tier is twenty five thousand or more and most people on tier are like oh that's cute twenty five thousand, but that's that's a lot for the average gamer um, so yeah, I think it was just another thing that really hammered home the point. This wasn't about games or gamers. It was about the multimedia functionality and getting the casual audience to talk about it. Well, and one thing that I think is going to be important in kind of bridging the gamer world and the non-gamer world is that Microsoft has said these achievements are going to be dynamic and evolving and that they could end up being cross-platform. So I know Microsoft has a patent, some some kind of functionality for getting achievements while watching TV, which... Again, <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't even know how to process that right now. But the fact that they're expanding kind of the achievement system and the gamer score system, that that's really interesting. Um, and I want to see how they kind of um, implement that yeah. moving forward. I think we'll talk more about this after E three because I'm sure they'll they'll have more detail on this stuff. Right, absolutely. There's absolutely. still a lot we don't know. It's one of the questions on Facebook was about whether or not, you know, if you're getting Destiny on your Xbox 360 or on your Xbox One, are these lists going to be different? A um, lot of questions just generally about the, the multi-platform thing that we're hearing about. We just don't know yet, uh, but we know that our scores remain, which I think is really what we needed to get out of this conference so everyone could breathe easy and know that they're carrying over their tags. Yeah. Um, speaking of kind of carrying things over, um, one of the common complaints we had about the 360 was the cap on friends, like it was 100. Um, and there were various reasons, never 100% fully explained by Microsoft and why that limit was set. Um, there was all the thing about it dates back to Halo 2 for some reason. Uh, but the Xbox One will have an expanded friends list. You can have up to 1,000 friends, which, again... <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I have 1,000 people that I know yeah, no. in my life. No. So the fact that you can have 1,000 video game friends that you can play with, you know, whenever, that, that just kind of blew my mind. Um, how, how are you guys' friendless looking? I know mine's kept pretty neat and trim. I, I have people that I personally know, people that I, I know through the site, but not many randos. I don't have many randos on my, uh, on my friends list. Um, Michelle, how how does your friends list work with you? Oh, mine's always topped out. Like I'll 
remove someone to add someone. It's just over the course of time of having different news hounds that I've kept on my list and other people, you know, staff at TA, people I know offline, people I've boosted with at length because I've done, you know, I, I did seriously boosting and things like that where you're going to be dealing with a largish group of people. And once you've experienced that together, they're your friends and you never want to let them go. So, um, you know, my list is always topped out. And I think uh, we'll see how this thousand thing, I definitely couldn't top out a 1000 list. So it's mind blowing as you've told us, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sound effects. Rich, how about you? How's your friends list look? Uh, mine's not too bad. I've got about 10 gaps at the moment, which I'm, you know, I like to keep a, a little bit of a space, but I do regularly clear it down of, as you say, boosters and uh, other people you play online with. But generally, it's people I know, um, either well on the site or or in real life. Um, but this sounds interesting. I hope we have a way to switch off notifications because um, <laughs> oh god, yeah. I already go mad when I think I've popped an achievement when actually it's just someone signing in. And um, if there's a, that happening times ten, uh, I, I will cry. Yeah, that's the worst. Like I said, I'm currently playing Far Cry 3, which is very, you know, open world. I'll just run through the jungle and I'll I'll kill an animal and all of a sudden, beep! And I'm like, oh, did I get an achievement? No. <laughs> Somebody I played with once just popped online, you son of a... Anyway. Well, my hope is with this expanded friend list that they'll actually kind of use the TA model for friends list. That you'll be able to organize them into groups and say these are my boosters yes. and these are my offline friends and these are my TA friends and whatever else. And that you set one of them as your main list. And that's the list you'll largely see popping on or off. Or you can set to have multiple ones of them as your main lists that you'll see all that information for. I'm just hoping it's, it's more a categorization thing to have a thousand people as opposed to you're just going to have one giant non-sortable friends list. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so let's jump into the, the games. We did have a couple of games and gaming companies make announcements and reveals. Uh, during the Xbox One press conference. Um, the biggest one was uh, Electronic Arts. We had EA Sports there unveiling a new engine, the Ignite engine, and showing off some of their sports gameplay. Um, they brought in athletes to talk about games um, via video and mm. showed off some pre-rendered digital footage of things like Madden and FIFA and NBA Live. And I think they showed some NHL stuff too. Um, honestly, I was I was bored. I, yeah. I know sports games are big <laughs> among casual gamers. I get that. I get that Madden is Madden and FIFA are usually two of the biggest games that casual gamers buy. So it's a huge market. But I, I, I was like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to have sports games. I, I, I figured that out. Um, I didn't really see – they didn't really show off gameplay. They showed off well, pre-rendered stuff. That's exactly the thing. They wasted a tenth of the – 10% of the presentation, if not a little bit more, on athletes – talking vaguely about games and pre-rendered stuff and wireframes of sports people training. Um, we've seen it all before. You know, this, this, we saw this before the 360 launched and it didn't look particularly much better either. Right. Um, I was really disappointed that they spent so long on this, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't really play sporting games too much, but I understand how big they are and it's all a matter of audience. They, this is designed as a sales pitch and they looked and went, well, this is who we want to attract. Um, what I What's interesting about the EA Sports Ignite, though, to me, is not the sports part. It's the EA part. What kind of partnership did they enter into, and, and what more might we see from EA as a trickle-down from this partnership that they're working so close together now? Um, but that's uh, they didn't really touch on that yet. We won't know that for a while. Well, and they mentioned something about, uh, I think, FIFA's ultimate team mode being exclusive to the one. Rich, did you... 
you're obviously more of a FIFA guy. I picked up on that. Um, I have played a bit of Ultimate Team, but it's not something I play a lot. It's a sort of built-in card game, um, which really seems to be a way to generate money for EA because you have to buy packs of cards. And the more money you spend, the better cards you get. And then you each card represents a player. You go online with your team. Um, and if you haven't got a decent team, then you're going to have your butt handed to you. <laughs> right. So uh, it's not something I'll use. Uh, I don't think it's a huge deal for. I'm not to be honest. I have no idea what the take up of Ultimate Team is. I know it makes you a lot of money. So there's probably a lot of people that play it, but um, it's not for me. So I don't think that's huge. Certainly not from my perspective, anyway. Right. Um, so other games included. We're going to not waste a lot of our time on an EA presentation we found very boring. Uh, so kind of, I think the big game that I know took your breath away, Rich, was they unveiled Forza 5 yes. as a launch title and it, Come on, I'm not a racing five. guy, but it looks spectacular. But I'm going to cede the floor to you cause I know you're a big Forza guy. Yeah, I'm big into Forza. I love my racing games and especially Forza. Um, I used to be hugely into Gran Turismo on the, on the PlayStation and this, I think Forza is, is now out doing Gran Turismo comfortably and that was the pinnacle of racing games before. So, uh, yeah, huge fan of Forza. This, seeing this footage and knowing the fact that it was a launch title, first confirmed launch title, and knowing that that copy of Forza 5 was going to be sitting on those shelves when the Xbox One came out uh, made me pre-order, basically. That, that was what tipped that's what tipped me over the edge. So I have pre-ordered my Xbox One on the strength of uh, on the strength of Forza Five, and yeah, it did look great. Again, it was it didn't look like it was particularly in-game footage. It looked pretty rendered. It wasn't you didn't see any in-car shots, uh, but certainly the sparks and the lighting effects and the glare and the the tires. Uh, oh, I could get ridiculously <laughs> carried away talking, <laughs> talking about tire wear, but I won't. Uh, no, it looked fantastic, and I I am very excited to be playing it. All right, Rich, go take a cold shower. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry, I'll be back. M- Michelle, what, what did you have any thoughts on the the Forza demo? No, I mean I played mo- Forza Motorsport <laughs> two, <laughs> and and that was pretty much it. I, I'm not a racing fan generally. I like my kart racers, so Blur was about as big as I got into racing games in this generation. I only have Forza two because it came with my Xbox when I bought it. Um, I, I understand they're great games and they have a big audience, um, and it looked great, but it's not something that would tip it for me one way or the other did you have a thought on it jay uh no i just it looked amazing uh i I probably will not buy it because i'm not i don't particularly enjoy racing games too much um but just i I think rich was saying rich said it best just the spark effects the the particle effects with the smoke and and Mm -hmm. how just the fluidity of the motion and again a lot of it was pre-rendered we don't know if that was actual gameplay but it it looked stellar um but we'll kind of shift gears to probably the biggest title for the general public is going to be Call of Duty. Um, they showed off Call of Duty Ghosts as an Xbox One title, and they spent a good bit of time just showing the graphical, the graphical graphics upgrades to their system. They, they put a new engine into it. Um, they showed the dog. Yeah. Everyone loved Call of Dog. <laughs> um, but they showed just the difference between Modern Warfare 3 that was the interesting and stuff, Call of Duty Ghosts. Just... Face, just facial reconstructions, the the showing of like the hair on soldiers' arms, the hands, the the level of detail, how how you could get closer and closer to an object, and it, the Xbox One would redraw it to show greater detail, which that was just amazing. I mean, Call of Duty has kind of set the benchmark for always having 60 frames per second action, have it always looking great, having good online, and, and during this presentation, you know, they showed. Not a, not a lot of actual gameplay, but they showed off the work behind it, 
And then they also unveiled that the Xbox One would be getting DLC before any other platforms for Call of Duty, which that, that's going to be a huge decision for a lot of the basically just Call of Duty gamers. Um, so, Michelle, uh, how big are you into Call of Duty? Did you get jazzed up by this presentation at all? Um, I'm a total ofer for this presentation insofar as them presenting games that I might play. I've only played a couple of Call of Duty games. I've enjoyed them, but um, it's not a series that would make me buy a console one way or the other. Uh, just like Forza, it looks great, and certainly for people who are into that sort of thing, it's it's going to be a big sell, especially exclusive DLC content. Um, you know, these folks don't wait for sales. The, that real hardcore Call of Duty crowd, they get right in there and get it, and they're not going to want to wait for that content. Um, so it's a big deal for Microsoft, but for me personally, it, it doesn't affect anything one way or the other. Yeah, Rich, thoughts on Call of Duty? Yeah, I'm, I always play Call of Duty games. Um, so, I yeah, the, to be honest, the most impressive stuff to me was the side-by-side comparisons they did with um, Modern Warfare 3. And as, I think a lot of this stuff is pretty subtle to you when you're actually playing the game because it's, it's sort of happening around you. Um, you don't really pay close attention to how beautiful the leaves look or how, how you can see the stubble on a guy's face. But I think it all adds to the experience in a subtle way. Um, and certainly the difference between the Modern Warfare 3 and, and the Ghost stuff was, was huge. I mean, it really was massive. So I can't, I, I can't wait to play this. I keep saying that, but I really can't wait to play this. I think it looks fantastic. Um, yeah, the dogs looked pretty cool, didn't they? And they've got a good writer in to do this, the storyline, haven't they? Right, they got the uh, writer who uh, wrote Traffic, I think. Yeah, got is that Oscar. right? Yeah, got Oscar, didn't so, it, Traffic, so. Academy Award-winning writer is doing the the story behind Call of Duty, which I think that's. I, I come from a, a theater background, so to me, writing uh, and, and story are huge for me. And to see that games are actually making an effort to pull in, you know, quote unquote respected external writers. Um, I know I've always I was a huge fan of the writing in Mass Effect and Drew Carpesian who did a lot of that writing is amazing. He, he's written some really good books too. Uh, so seeing that, you know, game developers can pull in and are pulling in bigger, you know, Hollywood style names to help with writing and development to me, that's really cool. Um, speaking of Hollywood style development, um, I think the, the most interesting slash strangest game reveal came from Remedy, um, who made the original Max Payne's, they made Alan Wake and they showed off this game, Quantum Break, which, to me, I don't know what this game is. And I think that was—I I think that was their point. They just wanted to show off this thing and get people talking because half of it was, you know, live actors doing li- doing video, pre-recorded video, and then half was looked like pre-rendered video game footage. But I—I I need to know more about this because it, to me, it just looks something like something that was really interesting. But I don't get it yet. And I think that was kind of their point. Um, Michelle, what did you think about this Quantum Break? Yeah, I agree completely. And out of the games they showed, this was the one that most caught my interest because I like Remedy. I really enjoyed Alan Wake and uh, you know Max Payne when they had uh, developed that early on. So, um, But I think it's, it's a teaser to what we're going to see more of in about two weeks at E3. Uh, it, it did exactly what you said. It got people talking. People are curious about it. Um, and it's, I think the first game we really have, uh, a tease for that, but we have no sense of, um, it's, it's exclusive. It's gonna, so that's exciting. This is going to be an Xbox one only game. And that's a big deal. Cause they were talking about, what was it? 15 first year exclusives and eight new IPs. Yeah. Was that the yeah. Number? We're going to talk about that a little bit more in yeah. a few minutes, but yeah, 15 exclusives <clears throat> in that first year and seven of them are brand new IPs. Okay. So 
this is one of those. And I think I'm curious as to why they picked this one to be the one they sort of engage that point with. Um, but I'm looking forward to hearing more about it, which hopefully we will in a couple weeks. Yeah, Rich, what did you uh, think about uh, Quantum Break? Yeah, the interesting stuff was the way they switch between live action and CGI. So mm-hmm. um, if it had just been a bit of live, which is what I thought originally, was it was just going to be a bit of live action and then we'd they'd show CGI for the rest. But it wasn't. They they cut back again and then again. So it was like, wow, is this actually the whole game going to be interspersed with these um, live action scenes? Or um, Because that, that will jar a little. Um, as much as right. the graphics are fantastic they're clearly not real <laughs> and so that will jar a little if that's in the middle of the gameplay so i don't know the, but certainly the boat um crashing into the bridge looked absolutely stunning the water effects were amazing um and there was some bullet time shots later on in the sequence that really really made looked graphically a huge step up from the 360 so um yeah i'm excited for it um to be honest i will probably be excited for every single new IP that comes out. This feels to me like it's a new generation. I'm going to try and want to get everything. There's going to be things I've never played before, things to try. Those eight new um, exclusive IPs, uh, you know, this is exciting. It feels like an exciting time. So I will be trying a whole load of games that I probably would not have tried had they been coming out on the 360 alone. Yeah, well, we we didn't get a lot of game announcements, you know, at the the press conference proper, but in the days afterwards, a lot of developers come out and said, yeah, our, our game's coming to the Xbox One. So I'm just doing a quick scroll through 2A right now. So uh, Wolfenstein, The New Order, is going to be a one title. Uh, Shadow Warrior was announced as next-gen. Uh, obviously, we already talked about Forza 5 being a launch title, Call of Duty Ghosts. Watch Dogs, um, that was pretty much a no-brainer, was going to be. Uh, Destiny um, from Bungie, we already spoke about that. Assassin's Creed 4 coming to the Xbox One. Rise um, is making the jump to the Xbox One. Thief, which is something I'm kind of interested in, uh, is going to be an Xbox One title. Uh, Warner Brothers announced Dying Light, Need for Speed Rivals, uh, and then a couple others, uh, Zumba Fitness World Party. Get excited. Um, <laughs> so, uh, obviously, we're, we're going to be hearing a lot more game announcements, a lot of Me Too's that are going to be those uh, games that bridge the current gen with the next gen. So we're going to get those coming out, you know, as we get closer to E3 and throughout E3. But other big topics that kind of hit during this press conference, I know the biggest one for me is that the Xbox One is not going to be backwards compatible due to this brand new architecture. You're not going to be able to play Xbox 360 games on your Xbox One, which I think that's going to stop a lot of people from adopting early. Uh, I know, Michelle, you have a huge backlog. I've only got a handful of games in my backlog. Um, It's actually giving me pause to think about, do I want to go out and buy uh, an Xbox Slim? Because my Xbox is kind of doing a slow, sad decline to non-functionality. And I'm still going to probably at some point want to play some of these old 360 games. Or at the very least, you know, I'm getting to the age where kids might come into the picture at some point, or friends' kids. And I want to show them cool games like, you know, Battle Block Theater or Castle Crashers, things like that. And uh, so don't be chucking your 360 is kind of the, the memo right now. Right. I think I think the point uh, actually with this backwards compatibility that you sort of raised there very subtly is Xbox Live Arcade games don't. It's everything is not backwards compatible. So that was surprising to me. And I don't understand a lot about the infrastructure of all this. I understand the physical disc architecture. I mean, even Blu-ray to DVD, right? It's all different. Um, so, yeah, that was a big blow for me insofar as getting 
the uh, the one early because I have a giant backlog of games I have yet to play, and um, I'm not fooling myself. I'll never get through all of them, but I'd like to get through some of them. Um, and not having that, I'll never plug in my Xbox 360 again. Once I have the one plugged in and set up, I'm just I'm never going to turn it on again. I know that's how I operate. Really? So that was a big deal. Mm. But I under Huh? That was, no, that surprises me slightly because I, I don't know. That was there's a, there's a whole lot of people on the site that are complaining about no backwards compatibility. And, um, apart from the fact that I think it's probably very going to be very costly to put it in, I, I, to me, I don't see the argument. If I want to play something on my 360, my 360 is going to be sat there next to my one. They're both plugged into the TV. I, mm-hmm. It's not. It's for me. It's not. It's not an issue. I I understand if people are saying that they thought they would be able to sell their 360 and then sort of part exchange it for the one and they'd maybe get a hundred bucks off or, or whatever. Then that makes some sort of sense. But if you're gonna keep hold of it, I I don't know. It is just not It's just a big the nature of yeah. things. Like I I've had my PlayStation two plugged in since I got my Xbox three sixty. I think I've turned it on maybe once and that was just to make sure it was still functional. It's it's nothing it's just when I'm onto a new console, I'm onto the new console. I don't tend to go back to whatever else I'm doing. Uh, so it's it's not a knock on. Of course, it's still going to be plugged in. It's still going to be ready to go. I just I know I won't actually go back to it. I'll just keep using the new one. So that was a big one. Uh, unfortunately, it probably does knock me out of the launch day window unless they announce some amazing game that I absolutely cannot be without when the system launches. So I think we're all kind of, you know, a little saddened that it's not going to be backwards compatible, but I don't think that's necessarily the end of the world. Uh, I think Cliffy B, um, or Cliff Blazinski, said on Twitter, or uh, asked kind of a rhetorical question, he's like, how often do you guys play original Xbox games on your 360? And my answer was, yeah, never. I don't, I don't do that. Um, but obviously it's more important at the beginning of a cycle than at the end, so it, it could be a decision, or this decision could impact the buying decisions of others, but... It's one of those things where, you know, with this new architecture to be able to do the things the one, the Xbox One is going to do, it, it just couldn't happen for some reason or another. And Rich, you brought up, it could be incredibly costly. So, you know, do you, do you want to have an affordable console or do you want to have a console that that makes you ice cream? Well, that was the, the PlayStation 3 deal, Whoa. I think. Right when it when it came, it made ice cream. No. Um, <laughs> when, when it first came out, it had a fairly small hard drive. And it played all your PlayStation 2 games. And then Sony basically went, that's really expensive. So we kind of want to give you a bigger hard drive and we're going to just dash the backwards compatibility. And Microsoft too, they, and someone pointed this out on Facebook that they spent a lot of money to make backwards compatibility mostly work on the Xbox 360 and a lot of development time. It wasn't a smooth process and it took a lot of extra time post-release. Um, so when you look at it all together and given Pl- Cliff Blazinski's comment about how often do you play your original Xbox games, it's really not worth the time or the money for them to, to spend on it. The, the difference is this generation, I've never had 400 games for a console. I I don't know that that many were even produced in some of them. Oh, I'm sure they were, but like reasonably accessible. It's just very different now because so much more comes out and we've all grown up with games. We have the disposable income we're spending on it now. So I have more investment in it than I've ever had before, which leads to the hesitation to upgrade. Um, Also, I think it's important to point out that Microsoft said they are going to be supporting the 360 for how many more years? I can't Uh, remember. 2017. 2017. So we've still got another four years of support for the 360. So if you're on the fence, there is no rush to upgrade because um, you will still have games to play on the 360 for a while, which kind of is a rough segue into the whole kerfuffle about used <laughs> games. Um, the I think the short answer is we don't know. 
Nobody knows. Yes. No. Um, mm-hmm. they, Microsoft didn't really say anything during the press conference. In the meetings afterward, there was loads of conflicting reports. Thank you, Phil Harrison. Um, so the, the, the short answer is there is zero clarity on this yet. Um, there's been stories out that you're going to have to pay a fee to play used games. There's stories out there that you'll be paying a fee when you buy the game from a used game retailer, and then you'll be able to play it. There's stories that none of this is true, and we don't know. And really, I think the important point is we don't know yet. Um, but I think the, the most important thing from a business perspective is that publishers, and I'm lumping Microsoft into this group too, they can't really afford to alienate these used game retailers yet because your retailers like GameStop and Game, they don't just sell used games. A lot of these places are the only place gamers go to buy consoles or to buy new games. And Microsoft and other publishers, they want those games to be easily purchasable by the general public. So they can't go willy-nilly and just blacklist used games yet. Um, I, I think we're going to get to a digital age probably sometime during this cycle or the next cycle where you can buy all your games downloadable and we'll hopefully have the inter- internet accessibility um, to be able to do that reliably. But at this point, they just can't afford to burn all of those retailers. And, you know, in, in the days since this announcement, GameStop, or GameStop's stock has taken a dip just because of the uncertainty on in this entire matter. So um, I know we've had used game discussions before, but let's kind of revisit it real quick. Michelle, what are, what are your thoughts on this kind of used game thing? I, my thoughts more generally, a lot of people are like, oh, this is why I'm buying a PlayStation 4. Stop. Stop. They haven't said anything yet. It really <laughs> would not be surprising if they have the same thing because developers are clamoring for this. When I, I'm not 100% sure how video game economics work, and this is where it would have been, you know, unfortunately, Dog couldn't join us today. But when a game comes out, the money that a developer gets from the game is only from that new game sale. They don't get anything else. It's not like movies where the first week of a movie being released, the, the studio gets 90%, and then the theater gets 10%. And then the second week, the studio gets 80%, and the movie gets 20%. So there's a sense of diminishing returns, but you're still getting returns. Developers do not have that benefit. When a game is out and sold new, that is it for them. They need this protection, because games cost what movies cost. It's a multi-million dollar production cycle to get those big games out there. Um, so my, my biggest thought on used game fees is don't just jump to the Sony ship. They may not have something like this, but don't just jump to it until they've fully announced their whole deal too. I really wouldn't be surprised if you see some kind of similar structure coming out from them because developers want this. It's not just the Microsoft end thing. I think we've got a real, I don't even want to say it's a problem, but there's a palaver going around that people are just being hyper-reactionary. And the, I think the, the important thing is we don't know anything yet. PlayStation hasn't made an announcement. Microsoft hasn't made an announcement. I will probably hear more, a little more at E3. But even then, I could expect not to hear a huge thing at E3 because they don't want to rock the boat. They want to make E3 a positive experience. And no matter what they say on used games, someone's going to be upset about it. They could say no used game fees. Everyone can play used games and you'll make every publisher in existence really upset. They could say, oh, we're going to have a 5 or $10 fee on used games that you pay for when you purchase the game. That's going to make gamers mad. That's going to make retailers mad. You could say, you know, we're bringing back, you know, Project $10, even though EA just got rid of it. If they could bring back something similar to that, and that's going to make people angry. So 
I, I could actually see E3 coming and going without any more clarity, and then they'll probably have some sort of a, rele- a statement released, you know, after E3 at some point, um, because they're, they're not going to want to take that heat. They're going to want E3 to be, look at these amazing new games and this amazing new hardware and not dwell on any negatives. Agreed. Absolutely. I, I agree. I just, I, I see it, there's a potential where if Sony doesn't do something like this, that becomes a sell for Microsoft to get these exclusives, right? So you're going to make more money when you develop it with us because, you know, you're you're going to keep getting these returns from it. So, but right, we're not going to hear about this at E3, very much like this conference. The reason why Microsoft did not address used game fees, did not address backwards compatibility, is because it was supposed to be this is what's positive. You don't go into a sale and say, but these are the things that are wrong. Um, so you're right about E3, but we're going to hear about this as the months go on toward release. Yeah. Rich, any thoughts on the uh, used game? Well, I just want to echo what Michelle said, really. I, this People seem to think this is Microsoft that are going to be taking all the cash here. If this is if this is coming, it's coming because the publishers want it. Um, and if the publishers want it, then it's not just going to be the Xbox One that has these, it's going to be the PS4 that has them too. So, uh, yeah, jumping ship on the strength of this not even announcement, this rumor, it seems absolutely absurd to me. Yeah. Um, so the other rumor that kind of got spread about and then we're still not quite clear on is... The Always Online. Um, Obviously, there was a huge firestorm on Twitter months ago about how the Xbox One would always need to be online. And this came right around the time when the SimCity crisis happened for EA and they're always online. And I think it's really important that we we still don't have clarity on whether or not your Xbox One is always going to have to be online or if it's going to need to check in with servers every once in a while. But I think it's, it's really important Steven Totillo from Kotaku made a really good point in speaking with Adam Sessler from Rev3 Games that there is a difference between always on, meaning the system is never fully powered down, versus always online, which is still murky. I think we have a little bit of clarity that that some portion of the Xbox One is always going to be drawing power, therefore it is always on but there is no clarity to this always online bit yet. And I think that's something that um, there, there is some speculation out there, about, out there that it's going to be up to the game developer and the publisher whether or not they want these online checks. So, again, this could be much more on the software end than the hardware mm. end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I understand the, the, the always online thing. It definitely doesn't have to be always online. There, there is a regular... Um, check-in that needs to be done but they haven't said how regular that is there were some rumors that it was once every 24 hours uh, but that seems to have been retracted now so it's going to have to connect to the internet um, at some point um, just to to verify your the games you bought or your saves or whatever it is that it has to verify but while that while it's not connected you will still have some functionality obviously you won't be able to play multiplayer games but there's a load of stuff that goes without saying that you're not going to be able to do but certainly play blu-rays play single player games you will be able to do uh, for a certain period of time yeah and someone suggested that a lot of this um non-information really just became free market research it was a good way for Microsoft to look and gauge what was going on. Um, certainly you don't want a firestorm like this, but as angry as gamers get, we also tend to have pretty short memories about things. I think pretty much after every major conference, there's been a major meltdown and I'm going to switch to this console and I'm giving up gaming altogether and we're all still gaming. We all still buy whatever consoles we would have bought in the first place. 
I don't think, again, they wanted all the negative publicity they're getting from this from gaming spheres, although I've not heard, seen big articles about this on CNN or Yahoo. This is definitely a gaming sphere thing. Um, but it, it seems like they may be changing on the fly. This is something that still could change right up to release is how much you're going to have to do this online checking in. Yeah, so, I think you're right. I'm not sure they've decided yet. I don't think so yeah. either. And, and I think that's kind of the the big takeaway from the information that was kind of disseminated in this post press conference, you know, feeding frenzy is that we don't know like games, game media, different reporters got access to different people at Microsoft who were giving different answers. And there was just a lack of cohesive messaging, which I think rankled everybody and that we couldn't, we as the games media or pseudo media couldn't get a straight answer. That was definitive. And everyone was saying, oh, we have the definitive answer. And a lot of times those answers were conflicting. So I think that's probably going to be Microsoft's biggest takeaway from this press conference is that they need to get their house in order yeah. when it comes to E3. Absolutely. Because E3 was is all when, over the place, wasn't it? Absolutely. Because yeah. E3 is going to be the spotlight on this system, the spotlight on the games. And there needs to be a clear messaging or else they could just lose a, a good swath of their audience. Absolutely. Because in hours, within hours after this press conference, Phil Harrison, Major Nelson, and Xbox support all addressed the, um, I want to say it was the used games issue, with three totally different answers. You, you can't have that happening at E3. And now you know <laughs> the world's paying attention, so there's no reason for that to happen. They should have known the world was paying attention for this. It, that was their whole point, right? Yeah, <laughs> they wanted um, the world to pay attention. Yeah, it was poorly handled. There's no denying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's that we're all in agreement that the, the press conference in, in itself was fine. Uh, obviously, it wasn't gamer-focused, but it was fine. It showed off the new console, some of the things you could do. But the information afterwards was just, that was a, a total train wreck. Um, but let, let's bounce back to the actual conference. There were a couple of other announcements. Um, the one that really got me excited was um, 343. I can't remember her name. I apologize. They came out and they said, they talked about the Forward Unto Dawn series, the web series, which I watched all of, greatly enjoyed. I thought it was fantastic. And then they brought out Steven Spielberg, uh, who said, hey, I'm attached. We're going to be doing a Halo television series, uh, a premium television series. And they kind of left it at that. So I'm excited. I really enjoy the Halo universe. It's probably in my top five as far as my favorite universes in gaming worlds go. Uh, and I really want to see where they're going to go with this, uh, how this is going to work. Is it going to be integrated into new games and new offerings? Is it just going to be a TV show? How is this all going to work together? Like, It, it really was that, that nice little appetizer of, here, we're doing this. Now go crazy. And we'll tell you more later. So, um, do either are, either of you have any interest in this this Halo television product? Uh, um, <laughs> I think if it's combined with gameplay, then I I would have interest. If it's just a TV series, I probably don't. Well, I was left with two questions from it. First of all, great, you tried Spielberg out. I mean, what's his involvement really? Like, he threw some cash behind it, or is he consulting on anything? Like. Uh, you know, that sort of stuff is, he's a name. I don't know what that means for the actual show. But my second question was, what does premium mean in this context? Is it a premium uh, series because it does integrate with games? Is it premium because it's only available to Xbox Live Gold members? Is it premium because this is one of those TV shows for which you will get achievements? 
Uh, they didn't really touch on what premium means. They just kind of threw the word premium out there. Um, so I would definitely like to know more about what they were getting at by calling it a premium TV show. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You, you, you knocked that out of the park. I want to know. I want to know more, but I'm interested. So um, we'll see where that goes. Um, any general thoughts on the presentation? I know we had Dom Matrick, who who was kind of the MC for the event and then seated way to different uh, other entities. But um, Rich, what were your thoughts on, on just the presentation on the whole? Um, I thought they focused on stuff I wasn't interested in too much, but they had an hour to fill, but I think they could have... I think they could have filled it better, even without the game stuff. I think they could have concentrated more on the Xbox Live infrastructure. That that was really interesting to me, and more what they were going to do with Smart Glass rather than focusing on the EA tie-ins. I know they have, they probably have paid a lot of money to be um, involved in it that way. But my other thing was, um, I don't know whether you agree with me, but it felt like a lot of the presenters are quite old now. It felt like Don Matrick's quite an old guy. Um, Major Nelson's doing a lot of stuff around the presentations and he's quite an old guy it felt to me like they could have done with some younger blood in there i think we'll see that that's just a personal yeah, opinion i think we'll see that more at e3 because i think they're trying to attract the older blood with this presentation um I, I i mean these are also their talking heads we would see them irrespective but i i will see i think that different demographic more at e3 but that's a good point i never really thought about that yeah, I hadn't thought about that either, Rich, but I think, I, I think Michelle, you had the really good counterpoint that E3 is where we're going to see maybe the younger crowd with a younger host. Um, this this was obviously, and I think that this can't be, this cannot be hammered home well enough, that this announcement was for the general public, it was for investors, it was for Wall Street Journal, it was for USA Today, it was for people who are not gamers. So I think they wanted, you know, friendly faces, who didn't seem counterculture or kind of out there or, you know, whatever mom and pop thinks a gamer looks right. like. They didn't want those faces <laughs> at this presentation. They wanted this presentation to get the general public excited. And even, you know, in the days after, there were members of the games media who, who just treated this presentation like Microsoft had tied up their mother, threw her in the basement and spat on her and just because they didn't focus on games. And that just, it blew my mind because that shows a great, uh, a great sense of, uh, a great myopic vision that if you thought this presentation was going to be gamer focused, you obviously haven't been paying attention to Microsoft's direction. Microsoft does not just want to be a game company. They want to be Apple. Right. They want to be that company that gives you the things that you don't just want, that you need. This is something you need to have in your home because it does all this stuff and it also plays games. Whereas gamers, I said it before, they wanted something that plays games but also does this stuff. And some people have brought it up, you know, when it comes to things like the iPhone. You know, I use my iPhone for more as a device that is not a phone than is a phone. So I, I think those are important things to think about that a device that just plays games, that's going to have a very limited appeal. A device that does all of this stuff is going to have a broader appeal and a greater market. And I think that is where Microsoft wanted to go with this press conference. And games are coming. We know that. E3 is around the corner. People are counting down the days and hours to the Microsoft E3 press conference where Major Nelson has said, you're going to see games. So it's, while I think, you know, gamers might have had an initially bad reaction to this press conference, it's, 
it's all going to get lost in the vacuum once games start to be announced. Right. I, I think this press conference didn't have like a giant enemy crab moment, you know, like there was a Sony conference and I forget who it was pretty famously uttered that. And that kind of was an internet thing for a while. Like there was nothing in there that was embarrassing. They didn't fall on their faces. Um, people just didn't hear what they wanted to hear. Um, what's more memorable in some ways for gamers, I think in every way uh, for gamers uh, about this conference was the post conference. Um, and how they handled that. But the conference itself was fine. They did what they set out to do. Yeah. So um, let's let's get some uh, final thoughts on the presentation here. Um, and, like a final thought about the Xbox One, and then I'm going to ask a the compelling question uh, of the podcast. So, Rich, uh, what are your final thoughts on this Xbox One? Um, as I've already said, I've pre-ordered mine. I'm, I'm massively excited for it. I think we're, what are we now, end of May beginning of June so we're only six months away from actually having one of these things in our living room so should we so choose um yeah I, I'm excited I, I can't wait basically I can't wait for E3 that's that's where I am now um we've seen the the fluff now I want to see the real guts nice Michelle final thoughts on the Xbox One yeah I'm in a holding pattern right now uh as I said before the big thing for me was backwards compatibility I know I shouldn't really have expected it would happen um but I unless they really just do something amazing at E3 that I can't be without, um, I'm not going to be an early adopter of the one, uh, just have enough other things to go through. But I thought the conference, the presentation itself was, was good and it showed enough of those extra bells and whistles. And I'm glad we've got that out of our systems so we can get into the gaming during the next conference. Yeah. I'm kind of on the fence. Um, I've already mentioned that my 360 is slowly dying. So to me, it's going to be, do I get a, a new slim and hold off on picking up a one for a while? Or do I make clean break, like Band-Aid one motion right off and just get the one at launch? So I'm obviously waiting for E3. I want to see more, which kind of leads us into the current TA poll question, um, which was a simple question. What do you think of the Xbox One so far? Um, and so we had uh, five different possibility answers, and uh, I've got kind of the results right up here. So uh, answer number one was absolutely love it, and I've already placed my pre-order. 8.8% of the almost 6,000 respondents are, are in that top category. Um, the next one, Dan, was liked what I've seen so far, but will wait until I've seen more games at E3 before I place my pre-order. That one was at 25.6%, so that's kind of I think Microsoft was wants that number to be bigger. Um, the middle one was not impressed by the reveal. They're going to need to do a lot more to get me to buy one on day one. That was 37.2%, which I think that number is going to be massaged after E3. Um, That's the key, isn't it? We're going to, right. we're going to run a, rerun this poll with slightly different answers, but with a similar, with a similar set of options. And uh, we'll see how many people have shifted um, from, from the answer they gave here. Yeah, the, the next answer, Dan, was definitely waiting for a price drop on the console, 14.7%. To me, that I, I don't understand that answer. We don't know how much this costs yet. How can you say you're waiting on a price drop when you don't know how much it costs yet? Well, that um, sort of means I'm not getting one straight away, but I intend to right. get one in the future. Right. Yeah. I mean, what do you think this is going to cost? I mean, I think we're looking at a five $600 console. So even if, if we don't know the price, I know I don't want to drop that on a console right away. I wasn't willing to drop that on my laptop, which I use all the time for work and for home. So um, it's a valid point, even if we don't actually know what the price point is yet. 
Yeah, Michelle, what do you think the price point is going to be? Just wild guess. Um, well, five six hundred was my guess. I think it'll it'll probably be five hundred because six hundred just sounds like a really scary number. Um, but I, I would think around five. Yeah, Rich, what do you think? Well, we've already our online um, game stores are already accepting pre-orders at three hundred ninety nine pounds, um, which is about six hundred bucks. But um, as ever, they never current the currencies never convert as as they should do. So it's normally one for one. So that would mean three ninety nine dollars. But um, I would be surprised if it was that that cheap over there, considering how much hardware there is. But yeah, I've I've placed mine at three nine nine, and I've got a price promise. So if it sells at higher than that, uh, I get it for three nine nine. So oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, I would say it's going to be somewhere between four and five hundred. Um, I I really want to know if they're going to have different SKUs, different models. Like, is it just going to be here's the one model for the one? Or here's one of the bigger hard drive. Here's one of the smaller hard drive. Here's one on a payment plan. Here's this, that, or the other. So I think your base model is going to be between four and five hundred. But um, want to jump back to the poll here. The the last kind of the bottom answer, and this just again makes me chuckle. Hated it. I'm getting a PS4 instead. Thirteen point eight percent. I call shenanigans on you. Thirteen point eight percent. I'm going to call your bluff. You're all going to get one. I, I'm, I know some people won't, but if you are using true achievements, that means you're kind of an achievement junkie. And if you're an achievement junkie enough to the point that you're going to vote in our polls, you're not going to abandon it. So I'm calling shenanigans. Um, so on that crusty OBJ note, let, let's get to my compelling question. So um, Microsoft has said there's going to be 15 exclusive IPs launched within the the quote-unquote launch window and of those i think they said seven are going to be brand new like never eight. Before, yeah, I think it's eight. Eight. eight eight brand new IPs. eight brand new ips and then seven are going to be obviously exclusives so that means they're in the microsoft fold what i want to know is take a pick i'm going to let you two go first uh, michelle yeah. what do you think one of these seven ips is going to be well, I think we're going to see something new from Harmonix, or at least that's my hope. With Connect 2.0 and all this fun stuff we can do with that, um, I, I really think we're going to see something new from them. Because to our understanding, they're not doing DLC for Rock Band or for uh, Dance Central anymore. Which means, I think, the pretty much the entire development team there is uh, freed up to do something else. And I would imagine it's something new and exciting for the... Uh, for the Xbox One, and they've been close with Microsoft, even though they've been a multi-platform developer. Obviously, Dan Central is exclusive, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that. What we will have to see, though, and I, just to go back to the cost thing real quick, is I hope that games still retain their price, too, so that they're affordable, so that we're still seeing that $60 or £50 price point, so hopefully that comes into play. Um, but uh, I think we're going to see something new from Harmonix. Right. Rich, what's your guess? Um, I think so. We know we got we know Quantic, Quantum Break is a new IP, don't we? We know we've got Forza right. coming up, which is going to be an exclusive. But the rest of them are, are, are in the dark. So I'm going to take a shot at. Uh, there's going to be a new Gears game because Epic must be working on something. I think there's going to be a new Gears game. That's that's bold because uh, obviously people can fly to the primary development on Judgment. Yep. So Epic proper hasn't really done much since Gears Three and the right. DLC as such. So I think that's pretty bold, Rich. I I I love that 
I love that guess. That's that's an awesome guess. <laughs> not that I didn't love your guess, Michelle, but I'm not a harmonics person, so um, I love Michelle's guess. Okay, Rich, Michelle's <laughs> guess. Okay, so we're all we're all. So friends. I'll just preemptively love your guess, Jay, and it'll all be even. Okay, well that means it's Fifty Cent, Blood on the Sand. Um, yes. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I think we've already <laughs> be happy we've already that. alluded to it, but I think we're gonna see something new out of Lionhead. Um, they haven't really done anything since Fable: The Journey, which didn't do well, if I recall correctly. I think we're going to see Fable 4. Um, Michelle, you already alluded to it with this perpetual online world. That is exactly what Peter Molyneux, who is no longer with Lionhead, but that was his vision for the Fable games. And and I could see them making a push to make Fable 4 one of these launch window titles because Fable is one of those Microsoft proprietary IPs. Um, And I think that could be really interesting. If uh, I know I I had some major issues with Fable 3 just as far as you know, stability of the game went and just general gameplay. So I, I may not jump right at Fable 4, but if they show me... Oh, who am I kidding? I'm going to jump right at Fable 4. Um, if they announce that, that's that's kind of what I'm hoping to see. So um, that brings to an end our special edition Xbox One podcast. Um, please uh, stay tuned regularly. We're going to be doing a, another podcast shortly after E3 where we're going to talk about those luscious, glorious games that are going to be launched on the Xbox One as well as the Xbox 360. Um, always remember, you can connect to us uh, via Twitter, via Facebook, but not MySpace. Do not look for TA <laughs> on MySpace. MySpace is terrible. Uh, we are on Friendster, though. I'm just kidding. I don't know if we're on Friendster. Um, <laughs> so if you have questions for the team, please don't hesitate to put them in the uh, message board, the thread for the story. Um, if you have achievement challenges for the next episode, I've already gotten several of those. Uh, sent to me via PM, or you can also put those in the thread. Uh, so if you have achievement challenges or questions, you can always, like I said, put those in the thread, or you can send them to me, OSU Blue Jacket, via PM. Uh, big thanks go out to The Kinetic and New Sound Dave K for providing the music. And until next time, on behalf of True Achievement, Rich and Michelle Matrark, I'm OSU Blue Jacket, otherwise known as Jay. Thanks a lot, happy gaming, and uh, pop some achievements. <laughs>